It's a miracle. We've heard people exclaim when they found that perfect parking space or maybe they've gotten their fast food order prepared correctly at the drive-thru. And this term has been overused to the point that we've forgotten what a miracle really is. Jesus' miracles prompt respect for his power and, and trust in his goodness. I'm glad you're here today as we're embarking on a, a new study of several of the miracles detailed by Jesus' closest friend, the, uh, the Apostle John. If you're watching on, online, thank you for joining us. And if you live nearby, we'd love for you to attend in person at one of our services soon. Our prayer is that what we're exploring will encourage you to take your, your next steps in your faith journey with Jesus. So let me ask you all a question. Do you believe God still works miracles? Maybe your answer to that is reflected by whether you believe the Bible is true. In other words, did any of this really happen? Or if you subscribe to the conviction that the Bible is true, then it reflects that God is still actively involved in our world today. And we know that that's the case, whether one accepts that or not. Erwin Lutzer, in his book, Seven Convincing Miracles, wrote, A popular but wrong definition is to say that a miracle is a point in time in which God intervenes in the world. And he said that definition fails for one good reason. It, it gives the false impression that God only occasionally intervenes in the world. He said this is a better definition. A, a miracle happens when God, who is continuously active in the world, breaks his usual pattern and does something extraordinary. The Bible calls miracles the finger of God, Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, or 1 Samuel 5, 6, the Lord's hand. So do you believe that God still has a hand in our world today? We're exploring the, the miracles that the Apostle John recorded in his gospel. I ask you over the next three weeks to read through the gospel of John. And then be especially aware of those miracles that exist in his, his gospel. There are seven. And during the month of August, we will study three of those miracles. We're not looking at them merely to learn about what Jesus did. We are looking because they remind us of what Jesus is able to do in our lives today. So today we, we studied John chapter 5 uh, about a man who was paralyzed for, for much of his life. But Jesus liberated him from this bondage. And the main lesson this passage shouts is that we must want to change before God can change us. So the, the first question I want to ask you is found here in, in the opening six verses. Uh, of our passage. And it is simply the question, do you want to get well? It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem 
for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The, the blind, it says, the lame, the paralyzed, and one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Jesus and his disciples have been in Galilee, and, and the trip to Jerusalem is about 80 miles. So they've traveled from the northern region of their country, Palestine, down to the southern region. And verse 1 tells us that he's going for one of the feasts of the Jews. We're not told which feast this was, but he was there in, in compliance uh, with, with that celebration. Verse 2 says, Jesus entered by the sheep gate. When entering Jerusalem from the north, the, the sheep gate was that major entryway into Jerusalem. So that, that's logical. John tells his readers that so they could identify where in the city he was talking about because they all knew where the sheep gate was and because by this gate was this large pool called Bethesda. We're familiar with Bethesda Hospital. That's where that, that was derived from, from this story, from this healing. There were five covered porches built around this pool to help provide shade from the, the Middle Eastern sun. It, it was a natural gathering place in first century Israel. And sick people gathered at this pool. The Bible says people who were blind or, or lame or, or paralyzed. And history tells us that hundreds assembled hoping for a healing. Bethesda had that draw. Archaeologists believe they've uncovered the ancient pool of Bethesda. And it's located as the story indicates near the, the ship gate or the sheep gate. If you travel to Israel today, you will see the, the church of St. Anne next to this large excavation site of what archaeologists believe is the, the remnant of the, the pool of Bethesda. I want you to look at verse 4 in your Bible. There was a, a local legend about this pool that it was a place of healing. And the local opinion was that from time to time, God would send an angel who would stir the water, some believed, with the tip of its wings. And when the waters were stirred, their thought was the first one in the water after that would be healed. Did you notice that when we read that there, there really wasn't a verse 4, the way it's footnoted there in most Bibles? Uh, verse 4 is omitted because it's not found in the earliest and most accurate manuscripts of the Gospel of John. It's likely that John knew of the belief about the, the waters of Bethesda, but he excluded that popular belief about the angel, instead focusing his readers on Jesus, the actual healer. Verse 5 introduces us to a man who had had a, a handicapped parking permit hanging in his window for 38 years. He, he had a reserved spot there beside the pool. Day in, day out, 
He begged for money. He kept coming back. And, and one thing kept his hopes alive. Maybe, just maybe, I can get to the water first one day and be healed of my disability. No wonder there was this great crowd of people surrounding the pool. If you had cancer or, or AIDS or, or cystic fibrosis, some in incurable disease, and you heard about this pool, you would go check it out, wouldn't you? Now, could God work through a, an angel stirring the, the water? Absolutely. God can do whatever he wants to do. He is sovereign. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. Of course, God can do whatever he wants. He, he could send an angel to stir the waters and provide healing to the first guy in the water. But did he? There, there's nothing to indicate that that was what was taking place. That was a, a local tradition, and it was not based on God's word. The fact is that the, the water moved because there was an intermittent spring that came up from some hidden reservoir in the hills surrounding Jerusalem. And every now and then, those hidden reservoirs would release their water in a surge, and it would hit these pools with a lot of turbulence and very quickly bubble and, and rise up and then quickly fall. So picture this scene. Dozens of invalids would creep and crawl and claw their way to the water, hoping they'd be the first one there at the moment that the waters erupted. I think the real tragedy was that their premise wasn't even true. It didn't matter whether they were first or last. It was a false hope based on a false assumption. But before we are too quick to, to mock their naive conclusion, we have some superstitions of our own, don't we? Who here wears their lucky jersey on game day? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Who here plays the lottery on your birthday? Who here is keenly aware and very cautious whenever it's Friday the 13th? We all can be a bit superstitious, even in the information age. You know, this invalid's greatest handicap wasn't physical. His most debilitating handicap was this routine existence that he had settled for and accepted as his life. And so Jesus asked the real question, do you want to get well. And that brings us to the second question, verses 7 through 9. Are you willing to change? Let's keep reading in verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat. And walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. It says, if you keep doing the same thing, you'll get the same result. You've done this 
year in, year out for, for 38 years, and, and nothing's changed. Now, I want you to do something different today, Jesus said. Uh, if I want God to do something new in my life, that means I need to stop doing the same old things. In November 2004, a group of elite medical researchers and practitioners convened for a closed-door conference at Rockefeller University in New York City. And the goal of this gathering, this think tank of the most brilliant thinkers in the world, all in one room, trying to tackle the healthcare crisis, but the outcome was both encouraging and discouraging at the same time. It was encouraging because most health problems are not caused by factors beyond our control. But it was discouraging because most health problems are not caused by factors beyond our control. And this panel of experts concluded that they could not fix our problems for us only when we fix them ourselves. And unfortunately, we often choose not to. Study after medical study identify five behavioral issues that cause 80% of America's health problems. See if any of these sound familiar. Overeating, drinking, smoking, stress, and not enough exercise. With a few minor lifestyle changes, we could solve most of our major health problems. But we don't want to. Most of us know someone who's undergone a, a coronary bypass surgery. More than 1.5 million Americans undergo angioplasty every year. And it effectively relieves many of the symptoms of clogged arteries. And, and patients are, are told following the surgery that this is only a temporary fix. If, if you don't have a lifestyle adjustment, you'll be back here in a few years or, or worse. And without this change in eating habits, exercise habits, the health benefits are short-lived. Doctors will, will state that if you look at people after coronary artery bypass two years later, 90% of them have not changed their lifestyles. The raw statistic tells us that 9 out of 10 people would rather die than change. You cannot help someone who doesn't want help no matter how badly they need it. We've all heard the adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And so Jesus is asking you the question today, are you willing to change? Scripture doesn't reveal how it happened, whether it was a, uh, a birth defect or some genetic condition or caused by a freak accident. But this invalid hadn't stood on his own two feet in nearly four decades. We don't know how old the man was or how old he was when he became an invalid. But we do know he had been paralyzed for 38 years. And he went through this same routine day after day. And while it might seem monotonous to us, it was also safe. To him. In fact, his mat may have been his security blanket. 
And this question might get to some of the the deep-seated issues. Jesus said, do you want to get well? Are you willing to change? What would that change mean? What would that change look like? Well, getting well meant he'd have to get a job. He couldn't stand out here or lie out here on his mat with his cup and and ask for donations all day long. If he was healed, it meant he would have to get a job. Getting well actually meant using his healed legs. He'd, he'd have to walk and travel and couldn't just lie down here by the pool. Getting well meant a, a new level of responsibility for him to his society. And Jesus called for this man to change his actions in order to change his life. The first step in an Alcoholics Anonymous program begins with the admission, my name is, I am an alcoholic. And we can each identify some of the crutches holding us back in our lives. These are choices, behaviors, circumstances that impede us from moving forward toward freedom. These struggles slow us down. They deter us from reaching the full potential which God has planned for each of us. See if any of these sound familiar in your experience. We can be paralyzed by the crutch of fear. We can be held back by the crutch of indecision. We can be limited by the crutch of apathy. We can be shackled by the crutch of addiction. We can be prevented by the the crutch of pride. We can be constrained by the crutch of disability. We each have a responsibility to do our part. Don't wait on someone else to to lift you into the pool. Verse 7, as Jesus commanded, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And that brings us to the third question we need to consider. Where can you find help? The Apostle John continues to to detail this miracle of the paralyzed man. So let's pick up the story in the last part of verse 9. It says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath, Saturday, the the Jewish worship day. And so the, the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. In their legalism, these Jewish law keepers began to parse out and interpret the law, and and so they determined that carrying your mat constituted work and therefore was a violation of the intention of the Sabbath. The man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. He goes, oh, I'm just following instructions. Uh, and the guy that healed me told me to do that, and I'm kind of buying into whatever he says. So I, I, I picked up my mat. I'm not trying to be a, you know, a scofflaw, a lawbreaker. You know, I'm not trying to cause trouble. So they asked, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. 
Verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Don't miss out on the meaning of this miracle. But on our own, we all are stuck. With Jesus guiding us, we can overthrow the obstacles that life throws at us. So here is the unmistakable take home. We can't change on our own. Jesus is the source. The solution to whatever your present struggle is, he calls us to a lifestyle change. He not only provided physical healing, but you notice he was even more concerned about imparting spiritual healing to the man. He instructed him, hey, you're healed now. You don't have to beg anymore. You can work. But I'm here to tell you, stop your lifestyle of sinning or something worse will happen to you. He's saying, as bad as it is to be an invalid for 38 years, there's something of graver consequence, and that is to go to hell for eternity. Before we leave this story, I want to make sure you catch one more barrier that might stand in the way of someone about whom you care. Did you notice when asked who healed you, the man didn't know. This guy didn't know who Jesus was. John chapter 2, verse 23. John chapter 3, verse 2. John chapter 4, verse 45. We find out that not only was, has Jesus been in Jerusalem, but many people had believed in Jesus because of the miracles he had been doing. So, so don't miss the irony. Jesus was in Jerusalem with the ability to heal, but apparently nobody had told anyone at the pool of Bethesda. They kept showing up hoping for this random stirring of the water that might perhaps turn into a healing if you were that lucky first guy in the water, so we've heard. Nobody told the ones who most desperately needed Jesus that he could heal their broken lives. Can you believe that could happen in that day? Do you think that ever happens today? Wouldn't it be tragic if it happened to someone you love because you never pointed him or her to the only one who can change lives? For all of us, our next step is to begin now to pray for our friends who are outside of the Lord and work to build a bridge that will help them say yes when you ask them to, to make room in, in their weekend to go somewhere they don't normally go to, to hear about someone they don't normally even think about, but a story that could change their lives forever. You may be asking them to do something that they haven't done in a very long time, maybe 38 years since they were a kid. Or, or maybe they've never gone to church. But, because that day, that man met Jesus 
and discovered for the very first time that he mattered to God. And Jesus changed his life forever. And that could be the story of your friend, too. Victor Frankl was a Holocaust survival. He, he spoke of his fellow prisoners in the, the Nazi concentration camp at, at Dachau. And he said, some of these prisoners who yearned so desperately for their freedom had been held captive so long that when they were eventually released, they walked out into the bright sunlight, blinked nervously, and then silently walked back into the familiar darkness of the prisons to which they had been accustomed for such a long time. We must want to change before God can change us. In Mark Batterson's book, Grave Robber, he writes, if you want to change, you have to change the equation of your life by adding something or subtracting something. You have to do something less, do something more, or do something different. Maybe this morning you are ready for Jesus to change your life because it begins with your commitment to him in faith through baptism. As 1 Peter 3.21 talks about this, appeal to God for a pure heart. And today Jesus is looking at you and he's asking, do you want to get well? I want to ask you to stand right now. I'm going to pray for you, and then you can walk forward as we sing. Our Father, we thank you for your power to do the miraculous, even today, in our lives and those around us. Lord, we thank you for this lesson from history that reminds us that you are in control if we will give you control of our lives. Lord, forgive us for the times when we hold on and want to do things our way or think that we can solve it ourselves. And Lord, I, I pray that you will, through your Holy Spirit, prompt conviction and change in, in each of our lives so that we could conform more closely to, to your standard, to your ideal, to reflect you and, and follow you each day of our lives. We pray and in the name of Jesus, amen.